1: Welcome to episode 215 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Mark McEvely and I, Matt Jessup, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of the financial markets and financial planning. This week, we're blessed to have Aaron Kramer with us, Wealth Advisor of Jessup Wealth Management, CFP extraordinaire. Welcome, Aaron. (laughs) Thank you. Happy to be back again. Love to have you here as um, the current date, it's August 24th, and um, Mark's uh, wife is starting to have contractions closer together. So, baby McEvely is on the doorstep. That's amazing. Yep. I know he's excited. Yep. By next week, we'll have an update for all of our listeners and viewers um, after uh, baby McEvely arrives. So as always, Aaron, we're going to start and review the performance of the major market indices that we track for the month and the year, and this data is from YCharts, and it is as of this morning on August 24th. We'll start first with the S&P 500. S&P 500 index month-to-date down 3.3%, year-to-date it's up 15.5%, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 3.1% for the month, up 4% year-to-date. The NASDAQ Composite Index down 4.4% for the year, up 31.1. The iShares Russell 2000 ETF uh, down 6.5%, Aaron, and still up 6.6% for the year. And the Vanguard FTSE All World X United States ETF uh, for the month down 5.3, and for the year to date, matching the small cap index, up 66 you know, I think what you're seeing is kind of this risk off um, in the market. Yes. And, um, you know, my comments before I talk about bond pricing, you know, the market seems to be stabilizing over the last couple of days after profit taking hit the market the first two weeks of August. I know Mark has discussed on the podcast previously about the seasonality of the market. He shared that uh, historically in pre-election years, the market tends to be weak in August and September before rallying in Q4. Now the question is, will history repeat itself? Right. That's yet to be seen. However, what's very interesting is so far, the script seems to be playing out. It does. It does. It's been a very, very weak month so far. And I
2: I think it's a lot of profit taking and what Mark has mentioned in the past. It's just seasonality.
1: Yeah. And if you look at it, you know, you had May, June, July, where we're strong. A lot of people were under allocated to stocks. We talked about that on the podcast. And now you have an opportunity that if you, you know, and I've said this many times over the past a couple of weeks. If you are under allocated to equities and right. you are waiting for a correction in the market, you're getting your fatter pitches now. Right, right. And just make sure that you know again you're investing in, in line with your goals and objectives, risk tolerances, etc. But if you're under allocated to equities and you know this, might be a good time, something to look at. Yep. So let's talk about bond pricing, Aaron. Three month Treasury yields currently sits at five point five seven percent. Two year yield uh, on the Treasuries four point nine five, and the ten year four point one nine. I know there's been a lot of headlines on that ten year, 10 year as it's been creeping up. I think the kind of the, the narrative in the market is, is, is inflation gonna come back, right? Is it right. going to kind of reaccelerate again? Exactly. So this leads me perfectly into uh, big headlines uh, for our listeners and viewers. You know, the first thing is the Federal Reserve. So we have the annual Jackson Hole meeting. It's formally known as the 2023 Economic Policy Symposium and it's held beginning today, August 24th through August 26th. All eyes on this. Narrative in the market is changing from when will rates peak to how long will they stay here before they
2: start to cut? Yeah, I think that's the big the big question for a lot of people is when are they going to start to pull back on rates? And you're and, seeing that narrative change too, aren't you? Absolutely. So I, it's gone from there's a chance there's more rate hikes by the end of the year to when are they going to cut? Yeah. So and I, I think that's The most likely scenario is they pause for the rest of
1: the year, and maybe we have rate cuts maybe mid-next year would be possible. Perfect you saying that. I have a piece, I believe it's from Goldman Sachs, that has their forecast for when the first rate cut will come. Okay. So we'll be talking about that. Okay? Next kind of big headlines, earnings season's pretty much over. We'll start the banter on the topic again in mid-October, which will be here before we know it. Yes, it will. I want to reiterate this because this is where you get the real news ahead of time. I've mentioned this before on the podcast. We're going to be watching the American consumer very closely in Q4 because student loan repayments are going to be starting up this fall. Yes, they are. Right? And that could eat up upwards of someone's 10% of their income. Oh, absolutely. So that's something that if we think about earning season coming up, Think of the banks. The banks mm-hmm. tend to report early in the earnings season. Think of the big boys like JP Morgan. They tend to make comments on their consumers, right? Right. And then we get to later in October, we're going to hear from a lot of the big retailers, Target, Walmart, Costco. I want to make sure the American consumer is holding up going into the holiday spending season.
2: Yeah. And I think Q4 and Q1 of next year might be a big tell on how
1: strong is the consumer really with these, um, these student loan payments coming back. Exactly. Exactly. And so the last little piece I have, and I think you're going to find this interesting because I did. Okay. This kind of surprised me. Okay. The Atlanta Fed um, GDP now forecast for growth in the current quarter we're in, which is continually revised based upon incoming data, it jumped to positive 5.8% annualized as of Wednesday. So yesterday, well above the official second quarter growth rate of 2.4%. While most expect the actual growth rate in the third quarter to come in substantially lower, the Atlanta Fed's blue chip survey of economists indicated that most are also steadily revising higher their growth forecast. So I wanted to bring this up because this narrative over the past nine to 12 months has been 2023 is going to be a horrible year. Right. And as each quarter we keep going through, guess what? It's a little stronger than we I expected. Know, I know. There's been the, the recession talks that the second half of this year, and we haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. So. Forecasts are starting to take that slowly off the table. Right? Absolutely. And it's like now they're like, okay, well, the risk is there in 24. But, you know, we're going into that presidential election year, and we know both sides of the aisle do it. going to wants do a recession it? that year. Yeah, they're going <laughs> to juice up the economy one way or Absolutely. another. Absolutely. Right? Right. All right, let's transition to tweets, articles, and research that caught our eyes this week. Aaron, why don't you start off for us?
2: Absolutely. Uh, First one is going to be a tweet from uh, Bespoke Investment uh, Research Group on August 23rd yesterday, and it's um, surrounding the energy sector and 50-day moving averages. So um, the tweet says, one of the sectors is not like the others right now. 91.3% of energy sector stocks are above their 50-day moving averages. Thirty percent of S and P 500 stocks are above their 50-day moving averages, and less than 10 percent of real estate and utility stocks are above their 50-day moving averages.
1: This is interesting. It's very interesting. What are your thoughts? So, um, you know, the 50-day moving average is a good kind of uh, temperature check on, you know, what is the health of a sector, Mm -hmm. right? And you know, do you have, you know, healthy, you know, trading in that sector, or is it under pressure? Right. And I think energy was obviously in vogue in 2022. Absolutely. Best performing subsector of the market. Mm -hmm. So I think what you have now is OPEC is doing the best they can just to get oil prices higher. Absolutely. They've cut production. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately, I think there's more upside risk to oil than there is downside risk. And I'm using my wording very cautiously on this because. Oil is very volatile. Absolutely, right? I just feel that um, supply is tight. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already began to uh, work on my um, show notes for episode two hundred and sixteen next week. I have a piece teed up from the IEA, the International Energy Agency, that shows their forecast of supply versus demand. And it's supposed to demand's gonna begin to outstrip supply going into later this year. Oh wow. And so that's just their forecast. Okay. So you okay. think energy could potentially potentially again that, that, that leads me to say I think there's more upside risk to the price of oil than there is downside. Interesting. And see part of my piece next week is to try to peel back the onion. Why are gasoline prices so high right mm-hmm. now relative to the price of oil? Right. And I have a piece that explains that. I'm not going to steal my thunder. We won't thunder steal, from we next, won't steal term, next week's notes. <laughs> but it's going to be very interesting. But I like how you highlight this because the other thing, if Mark were sitting here and you said this, what Mark would say is this sector rotation is healthy for the market. Right. 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 And what he would say is, you know, you had technology lead in May, June, July. Mm-hmm. Tech is probably one of the worst performers in the last three weeks. Right. And you're having now this sector rotation and so you know mark would sit here and say as our chief investment officer that's the lifeblood of a bull market absolutely and i think it makes sense with
2: the seasonality that we're in right now Correct. we're seeing some of that rotation out of technology and the growth areas back into to value and energy yes a little bit yes so,
1: um, good piece yeah i thought it was pretty interesting And bespoke always has quality stuff fantastic stuff i love subscribing to their research all right um, no, you're we are not be compensated for that. Jenna, <laughs> uh, Jenna, our director of marketing, I'm going to throw it out there. We're not compensated for that comment. <laughs> we are not. Yet, hopefully. <laughs> All right. If you're, I'll go on to my second piece
2: here. Um, I have a tweet by Carl Quintanilla on uh, August 22nd, and it is used car prices. So Ooh. he tweets that um, media arg- articles this week further support the view that forward inflation pressures are ebbing faster. New higher pay declining versus a year ago. The surge in auto loan delinquencies. Uh, we previously wrote how used car prices could fall another 30% from here. So here's a chart of the uh, used car prices going back to 1997. Um, that is from Bloomberg. Um, so it shows a pretty uh, extreme jump
1: throughout COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So we all kind of remember that. All that the supply constraints, the supply, couldn't get chips absolutely people were leaving big cities they didn't own a car before i mean all those
2: pressures yeah. so we've seen the the last year or so used car prices have come down fairly significantly what do you, would you say that is 10% maybe a little bit more yeah um but his his chart here he draws a line and he's forecasting essentially that it could fall another 30% and that it would get Kind of get back on long-term trend
1: average. So this is an interesting chart. So as a reminder for our traditional podcast listeners, these charts are going to be available on our social media sites, so Twitter, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. Facebook, etc., Instagram. All of our charts will be there. Jenna, of course, put this up for our YouTube viewers. You know my media thought when I see this. Mm-hmm. It makes me think about prices are probably going to come in a lot quicker than people expect. In addition, I've heard, I saw this on Twitter, there's a guy we talked about before, he's called the car sales guy. Oh, yeah. And this guy has like tons of followers, okay? (laughs) He's saying that in his network, repos are up through the roof. I believe it. Repos are just through the roof. He also commented (laughs) that Ford has patented, ready for this? I'm ready. A chip that goes into the car that when you don't make your payments... They shut it down. It disables the car. Oh my gosh. How crazy is that? Doesn't surprise me. That's pretty... Technology that's working. Nuts. That's nuts. But, um, you know, ultimately, this is good for inflation. Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. Now, if you're a used car dealer and you got a bunch of inventory in the lot, it's would not be... Not good. Not, not <laughs> so good. The other observation I have is this. I have traveled uh, some this summer. Mm-hmm. Every time I've rented a car, the rental car lot is virtually empty. Yes. And yesterday, I would did a day trip to Missouri. So I land in St. Louis, mm-hmm. go to the rental car, and the guy has to get on the radio and say, "What cars just came back?" And he sits there and says the cars, and he looks at me and goes, "You get an upgrade because that's they all they have. Ha- That's all they had. <laughs> and so that just says the rental car agencies they're lean on inventory, right? As right. well, it shows you they're not
2: adding new. They're inventory. not. They're not, they're not purchasing buying cars. Yeah, they're trying to get by, by what rates. they got.
1: Exactly. Right. Well, I think this is good for inflation. I do, Because at the end, it says hashtag CPI. Yes, it does. Right? <laughs>
2: that's a good one. Um, I got one more for you. Okay. So um, tweet from um, Jason uh, Gopfert. I probably butchered that pronunciation, and it was on August 21st. You know I'm the last person to help you. Yeah, this. I know. Okay. I wasn't even going to ask you. Don't yet. ask me. I, the reason I saw this is Ryan Dietrich uh, reposted this, so that's, that's how I found this. Um, always love his stuff. On um, August 21st, it's the 10-year making a 10-year breakout. And the tweet says, I don't know, a 10-year breakout and the 10-year yield doesn't seem like the most bearish thing. So you are highlighting the 10-year. I am.
1: Love it. It is the talk of the Treasury market right now. It is the talk of the, of the, the, talk right of the town
2: right now. Um, so you were, you were right with your headlines. I didn't know you had this. Uh, the S&P was higher six months later every time the 10-year broke out of a 10-year base. Say it again. The S&P was higher six months later every time, 100% of the time, six months later after the 10-year had an all-time or a 10-year high. I'm going to cheat here. The, the data set on this is quite extensive. It goes back to 1962. It, yes. Um, and he says it, it didn't work out well from 1870 to 1920. Um, I'm not going to read the rest of that, but it's kind of a funny tweet there. <laughs> <laughs> um So I I think this is extremely interesting because
1: typically you think the 10-year going up, it's a risk off, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember specifically very, very earlier in the year beginning, I'm sorry, the end of 2022, when that 10-year was getting close to four, everyone was losing their minds. Right, right.
2: But it breaking out after 10 years, 100% of the time, six months later, the S&P 500 was positive. I think that's extremely interesting.
1: That's extremely interesting. I mean... I have to put on my compliance hat, you know, uh, past performance is not indicative of future results. Absolutely. However, at times it could be a guideline, mm-hmm. something to keep an eye on, right? doesn't necessarily mean the market's going to be higher six months from now, but the data set's compelling to me. It is very, it's compelling very interesting. I didn't expect this. Why not? Or I didn't expect the, the correlation to, to be, be that 10-year strong? yield breaking out and the stock's doing good.
2: Yeah, I think it just goes to show you that, that rates going up, the stock market can continue to do well. Oh, I, we've said I that love so it. many Aaron, times. I love it, I love it. Because
1: you had a piece, what, three weeks ago about that? Yes. Yep. I'm, I'm on my 10-year trend. I like it. Because <laughs> you were dispelling the narrative of high interest rates or interest rates moving higher or being high relative to recent history, you know, tends to people perceive that it's bad for stocks. Right. And you talked about that's not necessarily Absolutely. the case. Absolutely. 100%. So we have more data on that. I love it. Interesting. So again, it goes back to this narrative, you're going to hear a lot over the next couple of quarters, how long does the Fed keep the Fed funds rate at this level, right? Right, absolutely. It's going to be the narrative. Anything else, Aaron, before I take over? That's all I got. All right, so I I got a couple pieces. First one's going to be really interesting, okay? This is going to be like deep thought, okay? Okay. So this is an interesting viewpoint about China helping the U.S. control inflation. Seems kind of weird, right? Mm -hmm. So this is from um, Yardini. He does a lot of research, like a raw research firm. Think of like Bespoke, okay? Okay. So this was also a tweet from Carl Cantania. He is a CNBC anchor. And the only reason I know how to pronounce his name is I've watched it for years (laughs) and years, okay? So China and the US have a dependency on each other. So this is an interesting viewpoint, okay? This is what Carl said, quote, The gift from China that keeps on giving, says Yardini, Chinese exporters benefited greatly from the goods buying binge in the U.S., but they've been forced to lower their export prices, reducing the risks that the U.S. must fall into a recession to bring down inflation. Hmm. Now, Jenna's going to put up this chart for our YouTube viewers. This will be in our show notes. This chart says the sources: the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the China National Bureau uh, of Statistics, and it shows US import prices from China versus China PPI, and it shows the yearly percentage change. Again, why am I highlighting this? The Chinese right now right. are going through so an economic slowdown. The last thing that they need is the U.S. going into recession? Right, it's the last thing they need. We're, we're extremely dependent on China from goods perspective. And so, what they're doing is they're like, okay, well, I got to keep selling. Mm-hmm. We still need to have economic activity. We're gonna take a haircut. We're gonna take a discount. Lower prices because I don't want I don't want my main customer to go into a place where they can't keep buying from me. That's. I found this it's piece very surprising. Super but it interesting. Makes, it makes a ton of sense. I don't know. I just. Kind of, it kind of took me back when I kind of saw this piece. It's surprising, but I, uh, I think it's fascinating. Smart Absolutely. on their part. It's very smart. Now, I haven't been as close attuned to what's going on in China as Mark is here at the office, but I do know and I can say they've been do- doing more economic stimulus within their country, gotcha. they've been lowering their benchmark lending rate, et cetera, okay. because they're trying to spur some economic activity. I think they're going through a little bit of a soft patch. Gotcha, I would so say. They're, they're already in the rate cut cycle. At this they have point, started you, you it, sir. Yeah. They started it. All right, you talked about interest rates, okay? So this is a piece from Goldman Sachs regarding interest rates, AC. This is what it says, and this is um, a, a piece from Goldman. Quote, our baseline forecast calls for the FOMC, um, that is the uh, Federal Reserve to start cutting the Fed funds rate in the second quarter of 2024. We are penciling in a 25 um, basis point cut—that's one fourth of one percent—cut mm-hmm. per quarter, but it could come more quickly. Okay, it could. Cut so that more quickly. would put theoretically that would
2: put rates around four, four and a half by the end of next year. Yes.
1: Okay. Exactly. So, and he, he continues and says, if it is more confident that the inflation problem is unlikely to return. So, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I'm going to do it again. A site I really like going to, and any of our listeners and viewers can do this Google Trueflation, T R U F L A T I O N, Trueflation. Great site. Great site. So, what people don't understand is the CPI is a survey. They're not taking real-time data. <laughs> like can we get in the year 2023 please, Fed uh, they no, they won't. <laughs> this is the way we've always done it. And if we change it, people are gonna think we're manipulating the numbers. Right, right. Right. That's the narrative. So they have stale survey data. They do. And the real-time inflation data is showing mid-twos and the government's numbers 3.2. Right. Right? So I thought this piece from Goldman was interesting because they're one of the first I'm seeing sticking their neck out there and actually putting a quarter with it. Yeah. That's why I wanted That's to impressive. highlight it. I mean, it's, I think it's, I tend to agree. I don't know. We shall see. see I thought it was
2: interesting. Of, it's very interesting.
1: So this is going to be a nice little round table between you and me, my All last right. piece. I love stuff like this. All right. I here we go. A little just, bit. just hunker down <laughs> for this. The magazine cover. Is it a market tell? So this piece is from a magazine called Money Week. And on the front cover it actually boasts that it is britain's best-selling financial magazine okay so this is a post from jc peretz one of the friends of our podcast from all-star charts he posted this on august 13th aaron this is what it says quote child robot is racing across the floor of the nyse riding a bull (laughs) while throwing sheets of paper with tablets and graphs at adults wearing suits with ridiculous smiles on their faces, things you see near bottoms or things you see near tops. Uh And the cover says, run with the bull. Is your portfolio poised to profit? Page 20. Wow. I'll let you start on this. I mean,
2: historically or theoretically, when I see stuff like this, it would signal the exact opposite to me um, in this scenario I tend to think the market could do higher as long as corporate profits are strong yep but usually when I see stuff like this usually I think of the the market bottom like it's this is the worst period in economics and the markets terrible and what does the is market it time make? to go all bonds I'm usually contrarian yes uh, of, of stuff like this but
1: um, I don't know what are, what are your thoughts the the thing that it gets me is if we were and if I thought we were kind of near kind of a market top, I could play into this, but I don't, when I look out a couple years, kind of big picture. What this kind of says to me is, this is screaming to those people that are either A, still out of the market from 2022, Mm -hmm. or B, severely or minorly under allocated to equities. And it makes me think of about a month ago, maybe two months ago at this point, I highlighted some research from uh, Bank of America. They do their fund manager survey, and it shows um, uh, professional active portfolio managers and their biasy towards stocks or bonds. Right, because most of them are severely under, underweight equities they at this time. They are. And let's take a step back and talk about why. So you go through 2022, Their shareholders, the mutual fund holders of their funds, saw way too much downside volatility. So what's one way that they keep investors on the boat? They lower their risk footprint, less volatility in the fund. Now that works great when the market's not doing well. Mm -hmm. But what happens to you when May, June, July comes around this year and the market runs and your mutual fund's underperforming? They gotta start buying more equities. But this isn't like, they can turn on a dime. No, you know, it takes these weeks and funds weeks. And weeks. Billions. It takes weeks for them to turn the ship. Right. Right. So, to me, this is screaming out to the people that are underallocated to equities. That's what it says to me. Yeah. I, it however, makes the sense. the cover is a little it, funny. It's a bit goofy. It's a bit it's a goofy. Bit goofy. <laughs> now, I guess the other thing it screams to me is this um, this market focus on AI. Yes, absolutely. And I think. you know, you've seen this fixation with how is AI going to change the landscape over the next five to ten years? Everything from employment, productivity, corporate profits—you were alluding to—and right. I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, Obviously, that's why, in my opinion, tech is one of those better performers year to date. Absolutely, because you now have a lot of optimism behind this topic.
2: Yes, absolutely, and I—it's interesting. You see that—you see that trend this year for sure. You do with AI. Um,
1: I don't know. It's a—it's a good one. I like that. The I always like the magazine covers. <laughs> They're always interesting. So anytime I'm leaving, we have a local grocery store here in Dayton. Uh, I absolutely love. And as I'm walking out, I always kind of catch what the cover of Barons is on the weekend, right? <laughs> and it always is like, okay, well, it's the top of that yep. every time they have the That's cover. Funny. That's funny. Um, before we um, disconnect from uh, episode 215, Aaron, anything you wanna leave our listeners and viewers with this week? Only thing I'd say is that with the seasonality going on and the market being a little
2: weak to start this month, um, I would just say it's not a time to make major changes, it's a time
1: to hold steady, stay at your risk tolerance and we'll get through it. Love that advice. So we'll be back next week for episode 216. We'll give you guys an update on the McEvely family. I have a feeling uh, baby McEvely will be here in the next 24 hours, which we're all excited about. And um, that's all I have. So uh, myself, Aaron, Jenna, we appreciate you listening to episode 215 the Independent Advisors Podcast. We hope the rest of the week goes well for you, and we'll see you next week uh, for episode 216 on Thursday.
0: Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites, Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of The Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.